Imagine the perfect customer experience. The perfect marketing, the flawless packaging, the seamless user experience, customer support that goes above and beyond. The whole way. You and your customer are in perfect sync. It's like a dance, a tango, where you're in lockstep, moving all across the dance floor in the same direction. They want the perfect experience, and you give it to them. But then you've got to talk about money. Let's face it, there's pretty much always conflict when it comes to money. The tango stops, the music screeches to a halt. Because even when you can come to an agreed-upon price, you secretly wish the customer would pay a little bit more, and they wish they could pay a little less. What if there was another way? What if there was a way that you could keep that tango going all the way to the end and develop a true win-win situation? People often talk about win-win solutions, but how does it actually happen and how is this possible? To find out, we need to go back more than 100 years. 20 years old and alone with her two-year-old daughter, Sarah Breedlove struggled to figure out what to do now that she was a widow. A harsh reality for anyone to face, but especially an African-American woman in the late 1800s who had grown up an orphan. Packing up what little belongings she had, Sarah and her daughter started the journey to St. Louis to stay with her brothers who had started a barbershop. Sarah worked overtime to help set her daughter up for success, spending what little discretionary money she had getting her to and from public school. Sarah was the first person in her family born free. The consequences and devastation of slavery were all around her, and the world needed to be better for her daughter. So as she evaluated her current situation, she realized that she needed a job, she needed a husband, and she needed some better beauty products because on top of it all, her hair was starting to fall out. Back then, there was almost nothing on the market that served the needs of black women's hair. The products that were available were designed for straight hair and could lead to a bunch of different scalp ailments, most typically hair loss. And let's face it, the world was a completely different place back then. Considering people were putting cocaine in their soda pop, one could only imagine what they were putting into their hair. After hours of intense research, Sarah was able to find something that would work for her hair from the Poro company. Annie was a successful African-American entrepreneur whose hair products were some of the best on the generally ignored market of black women's hair care. But at the same time, Sarah was experimenting with her own remedies. She started working at the Poro Company as a sales rep while she was developing her own unique recipe. Finally, Sarah was ready to venture out on her own. Equipped with her unique formula and dedication to break into an untapped market, Sarah only had one obstacle remaining. What would she name her company? Her new husband worked in advertising, and while brainstorming names, he suggested using something that would be recognizable to seem more legitimate. He convinced her to call it the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company, using her married name. And Sarah Breedlove did the rest. Sales of her products skyrocketed. As time went on, she faced fierce competition, both from her old employer, the Poro Company, and also new entrants into the blossoming African-American hair care market. And yet she was able to beat them all and become the dominant player in the field. So what was it that set Madam C.J. Walker apart from the rest? How did she survive amid stiff competition? 
She did it by engineering that elusive win-win scenario. Welcome to Often Imitated, a podcast about remarkable experiences from the past and how they inspire people to create great customer experiences today. This episode is all about aligning interests with your consumers, how Madam C.J. Walker created a company to help people like her, and how customer experience leaders can do the same today. In this episode, we talk to Tonio De Sorrento, CEO of Vimo Education, to see how he is changing the education industry today. But first, a word from our sponsors. Often Imitated is brought to you by our friends at Oracle, creating data-powered, seamless marketing experiences that delight your customers. To learn more, go to oracle.com slash CX. When Sarah, who is now professionally known as Madam C.J. Walker, needed to get the word out about her new products, she relied on print advertising campaigns in African-American newspapers and magazines, as well as her own personal travels. But soon she stumbled upon a secret weapon. Once women used her products, they became instant brand champions. At the time, women only made up about 19.9% of the workforce, and many of them were starving for opportunities to make money. With career opportunities being limited for women, especially women of color, Sarah started training her customers to help sell her products. And by aligning her incentives with those of her most committed customers, she unlocked massive growth. By 1917, the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company had trained almost 20,000 women in selling hair products. Each woman would wear the uniform of a white shirt and a black skirt as they walked door to door throughout the U.S. and Caribbean. Having products for black women, created by black women, and sold by black women was revolutionary and empowering, with Sarah's customers having not only practical needs for her products, but being emotionally invested in the success of the company, her empire began to grow. With business booming, Sarah had moved headquarters to Indianapolis, Indiana. There she built a factory, a salon, a beauty school, and a laboratory, all for the purpose of helping other black women have the same opportunities she was having, to make a career for themselves and have beautiful hair. She ensured that most sales and corporate positions were given to women, and would go on to ensure the company's charter that only a woman could serve as the president. One of her sales agents, Marjorie Joyner, even went on to create and patent a permanent hair wave machine used in salons throughout the country. Over the years, Madam C.J. Walker became the first self-made female millionaire in America. And with more and more success, she continued to align with her customers. She gave some of the largest donations that the YMCA and NAACP had received at the time and was a strong advocate for black women's economic independence. Madam C.J. Walker's journey and commitment to her customers will never be replicated. So how can CX leaders work to align their interests with their customers and create a lasting legacy? How can we use Madam C.J. Walker's insights to solve some of the most pressing challenges of our day? While there is arguably no single experience in America more worthy of a CX redesign than student loans. So we talked to Tonio Di Sorrento, CEO of Vimo Education, who has an elegant solution to an extremely complex problem and he took an unusual path to get there. I started my career in the Marine Corps. I was an artilleryman. I had a great experience, learned a lot. And I got out, went to law school. And in law school, I was working while I was studying. 
first job I had was tutoring people for the LSAT. And one of my students worked as an Islamic mortgage sales guy. And while I was in the middle of tutoring him, I started a, another job part-time at Sally Mae, which was at the time a $25 billion successful company that dominated student lending. And this is local to DC where I was going to law school. And I asked the, uh, my tutoring customer, I said, hey, where do you uh, get student loans? How does that work? If mortgages don't work, conventional mortgages aren't great for people of faith, people of Islamic faith. You know, where do you get student loans? He says, we don't. I mean, you, you can, but you really shouldn't. And I thought, that's nuts. And I asked around Sally Mae, and they said, yeah, we don't have anything for that. <laughs> um, uh, and it made me, it, it sparked an interest on, in my part uh, in, in understanding how to meet the needs of people in education finance whose needs aren't met by like the government monopoly, basically, you know, monopolies can work great sometimes, you know, if it's government monopoly of student loans, but there's loose, they're, they're poorly fitting around the edges. And so you have certain groups who are poorly served by that. And it got me very interested in the aspects of education finance that hadn't been solved yet. Like where could we do better? It's easy to understand why this would get Tonio interested in education finance. Student loans are a massive problem and an absolutely terrible customer experience. They're opaque, difficult to navigate, and full of bureaucracy. At times, it even feels like they're built to work against us. Let's look at an example. There's Lacey Johnson, a grad school student who has $70,000 of student loans in 2008. After paying $60,000 in loans over 11 years, she still owes $70,000. Lacey's story recently went viral because unfortunately, many people can empathize with it. We sign on to take out a loan for our education under the belief that you can pay it back. But as you pay back that loan, the loan keeps growing. In the end, you end up like Lacey, and you essentially pay for the cost of grad school twice. This type of setup between student and lender is even more strained when a student graduates and can't pay back their loan. The numbers are staggering. Roughly 43 million adults in the U.S. have student loans. There's $1.5 trillion in federal student loan debt and $119 billion in private student loans. This is not working for students. And that's what Tonio saw. He was intrigued, but he needed to know more, which took him to a new job where he could get to know the market a little better. And I got to go join SoFi, again, as an early employee. This is a big lending business based in San Francisco that was really breaking records on like a non-bank financial services company growing. It was inventing, basically, student loan refinance. So I'm watching this thing scale and grow. Meanwhile, all my old income share agreement customers pivoted or failed. Like they all said, ISAs, it's not going to work. And that just didn't feel right to me. So I'm at SoFi, kind of troubled by this. I wrote a paper about ISAs and income share agreements and, and what, what might help them work as a market. And uh, a bunch of people read that paper. One of the people who read it called me up and said, you got to quit and build a company in this space. Similar to when Madam C.J. Walker worked for hair care industry pioneer Annie Malone before sitting off on her own, Tonio kind of did the same thing. Eventually, he left and in 2016, founded Vimo Education. We transformed the way schools attract students and measure outcomes. So colleges and also workforce development organizations, they'll work with Vimo to align tuition with their students and graduates' success. So we'll partner with schools and then we advance strategic objectives of theirs, higher yield, improved retention, accelerated completion. 
We've been in the market for four years. We work with dozens of colleges, universities, and skills-based training providers. Our customers are schools. If you think of a college or university, you have a public or private nonprofit with a, a full management team. And our customer, the person who, it, who we make the hero, is the enrollment manager, the person in charge of getting students to school and getting them through the school. We work with the financial aid office. The CFO is usually in charge of the enrollment manager and is um, helping to buy. And then working with Vima, working with our product income share agreements and doing something like pay for success tuition like we do is often an institutional level consideration. And so we'll also touch on the president. So within a school, we're in that chain. President is maybe in the loop and certainly matters if we succeed or don't to that president. The CFO is buying, the enrollment manager is the hero, the financial aid uh, officials are people whose lives we try to make great. They're trusting us on the other set of stakeholders with their applicants, their learners, and their graduates. And so people who want to attend a school are worried about how they're going to pay for it are talking to us. P people who are at the school with a, a relationship with Vimo and the school in an income share agreement or who are negotiating a financial aid package with the school are probably talking to us. And then graduates, they're telling us they're probably going to be talking to Vimo longer than they talk to the school, if that makes sense. They're going to be uh, paying a percent of their earnings for a set number of years out of their first few jobs out of school. And we're going to be there to um, celebrate that with them, um, collecting that information, getting it back to the school. But Vimo Antonio didn't invent the income share agreement. In fact, the idea was developed as far back as the 1950s. For Tonio, a major key to success was understanding why these type of agreements had never worked in the past. I would say the, the last step was understanding why didn't income share agreements work before and what would we ever do differently then to make them work now? And I think there's two big lessons. I take lessons from SoFi here, but I think you know just learnings from the world that Vimo has in it to help us get a little bit further maybe than other companies who had come before in this space. One was, I think we picked the right customer. You know, SoFi was very much about picking a certain customer. They're famous for picking the high earner, not rich yet, Henry, consumer customer, and then just trying to cross sell that customer. Instead of being the student loan store, SoFi wanted to be the Henry store. Vimo, we don't want to be the ISA store, the income share agreement store, and we don't want to sell stuff to consumers. We don't think that the world's ready for that. It wasn't when we started Vimo at least. So five years ago, the world wasn't ready for a company just selling income share agreements to consumers. What the world was ready for in our view was someone helping colleges succeed, like improve on things that they care about using a concept like income share agreements. And so we wanted to be the college success store, not the income share agreement store. And that led to the second improvement we had to make. The first one was pick, a better, pick the right customer. And the second is then you have to meet all the customer's needs. You have to love the customer and build around that customer. And for us, that meant hiring a certain management team. I think, you know, SoFi, I really respect. Of course, they hired me, so I'm going to say that they're good at hiring. But they hired great management talent for a very young company. And it helped them outpace a lot of other companies who had similar ideas and business models. And I think at Vimo, We've done what it takes here to bring in talent from all of the different functions it takes to serve a school well and get them to trust us to do something as novel 
is implement an income share agreement program with them. Applying those two things, pick a better customer, hire, hire the right team, and then compound the customer. Here, you know, lesson number three is don't, don't take shortcuts, just stick to your customers. Um, be a customer-focused business, not a product-focused business. That's how we got to the Vimo that's here today. Madam CJ Walker saw dissatisfied customers wrestling with hair products that weren't designed for them. Tonio Di Sorrento saw a different type of dynamic at play with students and lenders. Student loans just didn't seem designed for, well, students. Lenders typically measure the success of a loan based off if it's paid back or if it's not. They don't dive into the details of how a student is paying it back or if they can afford to pay it back or anything like that. The lender doesn't have insight into a student's salary potential once they graduate, and that information doesn't really change the way they do business. It's kind of like a no-refunds policy. Once you're out the door, the lender doesn't have too much incentive to make sure things are going well on your end, as long as you're paying back the loan. Tonio aims to flip that on its head. Bimo believes that schools should measure themselves based off their student success and prove that the cost of education is worth it. That's what inspired this new dynamic of aligned interests. This is a win-win. It's distinctive from loans in that there's no unconditional obligation to pay. It's like a partnership concept instead of a, a loan concept where whether it's with a school or somebody else, you're going to partner in your career and share success. And I thought that's fantastic. That deserves to exist in the world. Let's imagine a non-traditional student, Susie. She's a single mother. She's a first-gen student, and she wants to go back to school to get a specific job, let's say in marketing. She's looking at colleges, weighing if her degree is going to be worth the investment. It's a classic lending situation. She'd agree to the loan, but also have to run the risk of not being able to pay back the loan. What if life intervenes. Tonio believes that this underserved community of students deserves a different experience. And that's what Vimo is designed to offer. So Susie's going to be looking at a few options for education, places she could study and get the next credential she needs to get the raise. If one of them is saying something like, well, some or all of this is, is literally pay for success. You only have to pay if it works. It helps that one stand out to Susie. Now Susie can have a little more confidence going in saying, well, there's an opportunity cost to being out of school, but if this doesn't work, they lose too. We're in this together. That's a different relationship than people have been allowed to have with schools, you know, before 2016. And so that's the first thing. It's going to help her choose the right school. Now, once she's at that school, if she takes the income share agreement, that's not a deal between some bank and her. It's a deal between the school and Susie. This isn't a more fair, progressive, transparent form of loan. It's a more fair, progressive, transparent form of tuition, where if she does not earn at like she and the school both expected when she completes her credential, she will get a retroactive discount on the tuition up to the total cost. So that, that's a very different experience. There's a virtuous circle between the attention you give your customers and the attention they give your business. 100 years ago, Madam C.J. Walker was in tune with the experience of black women trying to find cosmetics that suited them. She was also in tune with the experience of black women who did not have a job or a means to provide for their family. They were underserved in many, many, many ways. 
they were told to deal with what was available. For Tonio, he saw that students have a similar structure. He's fundamentally trying to change the way a very specific segment of student financing works. Schools should be tied to the student success. Vimo is tied to the success of those schools. Win-win. Looking at the outcomes data and thinking about what's my learning style and where do I fit there? And Because I, I, I don't think the income share agreement is, is the entire answer. It's just one thing of a number of things that great schools do to stand out. You know, the school sets that. We, we just advise schools on these things and, and help them run it. So the school would set that. That could be as few as 48 months after graduation, as many as maybe nine or 10, as long as maybe nine or 10 years after graduation. A typical student loan starts at 10 years and a typical student loan gets extended to up to 20 years. So Tonio is relentlessly focused on Vimo's customers and improving their experience. Because when they succeed, he succeeds and vice versa. Vimo Education helps the schools to set up programs to allow income share agreements rather than working with the students directly. This is a teach a person to fish sort of a thing. If Vimo is helping all of the schools set up ISAs with those students, he's aligning the interest between the student and the school. And that's a win-win. We try to put ourselves in their position. We try to view the world from their perspective. What we change is the experience, to the extent Vimo has a societal benefit. Our impact on the world is that people will pick better schools for themselves when they can make that choice between a school who says pay up front and see what happens or a school who says pay only if this works. And when we say if this works, we mean the same thing you do as a student, you know, that this works out for you career-wise and it, it gives you upward economic mobility, which is something most students are counting on when they're paying for school. Vimo is one way to do that. Income share agreements are one way to do that. We help people understand that it is worth it. It helps them choose a better institution for themselves. And that trickles up. So good consumer decisions, students, parents, adult learners, everybody, good decisions there reward schools for doing the right thing. And if those schools who are awarded for doing the right thing grow, other schools will copy that. They'll copy the right things. They compete with each other. And everybody here can win. In the same way that Madam C.J. Walker empowered women to create a better customer experience selling door to door, Tonio empowers universities to create a better customer experience for their students. Today's CX leaders don't need to create an entire industry like Madam C.J. Walker or Tonio, but by aligning their interests with their customers, they can vastly improve the experiences of those they serve. And who knows, they just might change the world a little bit at the same time. I'm your host, Ian Faison. Thank you for listening to another episode of Often Imitated. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe. If you really like it, give us a rating and review. This podcast was narrated by me, Ian Faison, and produced by Ben Wilson, with support from Kyle Kellyaner and Mackie Wilson. Audio design by Ezra Baker-Trumpiano. This podcast is brought to you with the generous support of our friends at Oracle, creating data-powered, seamless marketing experiences that delight your customers. To learn more, go to oracle.com slash CX.